0: morning, everyone. Um, why don't you grab a phone or a Bible and head towards like 1 Corinthians? If you are, yeah, I know that sounds a bit vague and like, what are we going to do? Um, we're going to be in a few different passages, but we're going to end up at one in 1 Corinthians uh, in a while. But we're going to go all over the place. I don't want to tell you some people like flipping everywhere or scrolling, but it's going to come pretty thick and fast this morning, the different verses, and they're all going to be on the screen. So that's why I'm just saying, head to 1 Corinthians, because we'll spend a bit longer there later on in the, in the message. There's Lots of preamble. Um, if you are new, or you're visiting, or you're joining us this morning, we're in a week three of a four-week series, uh, looking at really big foundations uh, for us about what we believe and what, we're going to do, what we are doing and what we want to do as a church. Uh, gather, grow, give, go. I just want to say that um, I'm quite impressed with the turnout this morning. Uh, at 8 o'clock, in the rain, knowing that the sermon's on giving, you're all here. I'm like, if God did give out brownie points, <laughs> you you would get some. He doesn't. He doesn't care about that stuff. But uh, if he did, you would certainly be uh, loading them up this morning. Well done for being here. Um I, you know, gather, grow, give, go, when we talk every week, I'm trying to point you to this wheel that we've got, and we've done communal, spirit-empowered, worshipful, um, and today we are doing a Be Stewards, Be be Stewards. Um, as I was reading over my own notes and reflecting on this, uh, I want to I wanna give this, um, I want to say two things. In an introductory kind of way one is that if you are here or you're watching and you wouldn't consider yourself a, a committed follower of jesus yet um much of what i'm going to say today may not apply directly to you yet um i want to give you a free pass if this is in your church whatever leave the giving flyer we're not after your money you know god's not after your money just chill like we're not I'm trying to get you to give us bucks when you leave. You are, everything is free. The gospel's free. Just breathe. Um, and you know, if you're online, please don't worry about it kind of thing. Listen in and listen for the gospel and message of who God is uh, to you and who you are in light of who he is. Um, the second thing is that some of the stuff that I'm going to share this morning might feel a bit like waterboarding if you've never heard it before. I want to give you that. I know I shouldn't say that. They say at preaching school you should never warn people that some of the stuff in the message is going to be rough to hear. But uh, I am warning you uh, in a kind kind of way that you may have some reactions to some of the stuff that I'm I'm going to say. If you've never heard this stuff before, um, some of you are like, I know this stuff. You you say this all the time, Doug. But but, but some of this, you're going to push back against it. Because what I'm going to speak about this morning is, uh, as we've gone through this, this series on reformation, if you've been here every week, you'll remember I said that The world is trying to form, successfully form and shape us into its way of thinking so that your life and your thinking, everything is patterned in ways that have nothing to do with the ways of Jesus. And the call to faithful following of Jesus is a call to be reformed and reshaped in his ways and think his thoughts and look like him, change in character and stuff. And it comes from having our convictions changed. We behave out of our deepest convictions, so you do in light of what you believe. And this whole series is going after our convictions. For some, cementing things we already believe, but for some of us, getting new convictions and getting um, finding a whole new way of thinking. And I think in this week, Gather, Grow, Give, Go, this give one has um, convictions that fly most directly in the face of what the prevailing culture would tell, tell you about yourself. Um, the... The world around us shouts this message at you, that you are wonderful, that you can do whatever you want, that you have within yourself everything that you need, you do you, you just be a little bright little sunflower that you are, that God made you to be, and you just shine your light and your love, and go, 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 uh, and and the, the, the path to like self-actualization um, it, it, you're encouraged along that road. And um, you, you, the, the unbridled freedom to do whatever is in your heart, just do it. If it's there, it's got to be a good thing. Just go. Live out your desires. Um, they obviously there. They're good. Just go, go, go. And um, the message of the Scriptures and the message of the Gospel flies completely against that. Um, I want to If you're a note-taker, this is point number one. I don't have real points this morning. They're a bit muddled. This is point number one. You are not your own. You are not your own. You're not in charge. You're not in control. You're not the boss of your life. It's not about you. Waterboarding number one. I mean, if you've never heard that before, you're like, rubbish. Of course I am. No, you're not. I'm going to show you how are you not? And I'm going to encourage you, if you've never heard this before, this is the most liberating message that you will ever hear. It sounds tough and it's a bit like, oh gosh, now God is the boss of me. I'm telling you, this is the most liberating thing. When you step into it and you fully believe it and grasp it with your whole heart, this is the most liberating news you will ever, ever hear. When we talk about being stewards, it means that we are taking care of Things that are not ours. So that's why I'm talking about this stuff at the beginning. The whole issue of stewardship has to do with ownership. The issue of stewardship has to do with ownership. That's why you and everything that you have don't belong to you. You and everything that you possess does not belong to you. Let me make my point from the Bible. I did not suck this out of my thumb. This, here we go. Passage number one, Psalm 24, we're going to fly through a few passages that bring this out. Uh, you know me, I mentioned a few times I like to preach out of one passage. don't like to fly all over the Bible. Why I'm doing this is because I want you to see that this is the consistent message all over the Bible. That you do not belong to yourself and you have nothing. You own nothing. You are simply a steward of him who owns Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth. And everything in it. Psalm 89 verse 11. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it. You founded them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. We, I whittled this down. This is like the shortest I could uh, I, you know we could do this for half an hour. I had so many passages and go do a word search on ownership and lordship and stuff. Uh, the, the, the consistent message of the scriptures is that every single thing in all creation belongs to the Lord, and that includes you, whether or not, whether or not you believe it or like it. It's the truth you and everything that you have belongs to him. you are not your own you were bought at a price that price was the the body and the blood of Christ given that bought us and made us his he is we belong to him even as he is the creator he's made it if I, if I make something and it's mine you know God has made everything the heavens. And the earth and everything in it uh, belong to the Lord. Listen to listen to part of what David prays as he's um, praying for the people as they're giving gifts towards the building uh, of the temple. Listen to what he prays in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. He says, But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes. From your own hand, for we are aliens and temporary residents in your presence, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this wealth that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. Are you starting to get it or get bored of it? Like again, okay, move on, we get it. Everything belongs to him. I love that prayer of David's. He gets the heart of it. It's like we, we, we use the term giving in churches. You know, we, or offering. Uh, we're going to take up the offering, or we're going to have a time of giving or whatever else. And Dave mentioned the giving booklets. And I thought about it. The wording doesn't actually help us. Uh, because gi- giving, it should actually be called returning. We're going to have a time now of returning. We're going to return to the Lord what is his. That, that would be more theologically correct. We're going to have a time of returning. There you go, Lord, giving it back to you, what is yours, because it came from you. That's what David says. It came from you. You're not giving God anything that he didn't first give to you. So it should be called returning. We sometimes do feel like that, though. I'm going to give to the Lord. There you go, God. There's some bucks. There's some time there, whatever. I'm giving you something of mine. And it's mental because it's not. The consistent message of the Scriptures is that you don't have anything. You're not giving God your things. You are re- simply returning that which you never had until he gave it to you. And so we should hold everything in that, in that light, in, in loosely. Some of you will be familiar with the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. Uh, if not, you can Google it. It's very helpful to work through. The first question on the Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism is this. What is comes from one of the songs that we sing here. Um, What is your only comfort in life and death? Question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an answer. And that is a question and an answer. That you belong. You're not your own. You belong, body and soul, both in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote from Randy Alcorn. He's written wonderful books on stewardship and and heaven. If you're interested in heaven, he's got a great book on heaven. It's very thorough. He he describes uh, his journey in this, in stewardship. He says, if God, this discovery came to, if God was the owner, I was the manager, I needed to adopt a steward's mentality toward the assets he had entrusted, not given to me. The steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and carry out his will. That's a fundamentally different way to look at your life. That God has entrusted things to you as a steward. That he has a will. He has a will of what he once accomplished with those things he's entrusted to you. And our job is to find out, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you have entrusted to me? It can't be. Here's what it can't be. It can't just be that I accumulate more and more and more and more and make my life more and more comfortable. It can't be that. That That's nowhere in the Scriptures. That is explicitly spoken against in the Scriptures, that we just add up and we build Uh, bigger bonds for ourselves. It's not the point. The the journey of being a good steward is figuring out how much do I have because we're all blessed in different measure, but the the degree to which you've been blessed, the things that you've been given, how do they fit into the will of God, what he's wanting to do uh, in the world? And I am going to mention how God has blessed us in different ways because it's not just a financial thing. When we talk about stewardship, we're not just talking about finances. We're talking about all of life being, being stewarded. But I hope you, I hope you get that this is the conviction on which all activity and behavior is founded. If you, unless you have this conviction, everything else I'm going to say now will be redundant. Uh, the conviction that you belong, heart and soul, everything, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, both in life and death, you are not your own, and nothing that you have is yours. And you walk out into this the day to go and drive the Lord's car, to go to the Lord's home, to put your put the Lord's clothes in the washing machine, you know, to eat the Lord's food that He's provided. You don't own anything. When you leave, what are you taking with you? Yeah, exactly, nothing. You're not taking anything because it doesn't belong to you. Isn't that great? It's a liberating way to live. I I know it flies against us and our comforts and stuff, and it's very difficult in the culture in which we're surrounded. Um, We talk about our stuff. All our language, we ensure our things. I lend you my things. Our sense of ownership is so wired in. Any of you who are parents will know this, especially if you have multiple children. Um, Man, mine, that word, mine, that awful word, mine. You know, our kids come to blows, physical, not metaphorical, literal, physical blows over ownership of things. That is mine. Now, we didn't teach them those things. They just grow up thinking, this belongs to me. You cannot touch it. I don't want to play with it, but you can't touch it. No one's, we're just going to sit and look at it because it's mine and I want to control it. I need to have things. I need to have things. And we all go through life like that. We need to have things. That's the prevailing message of the culture. If you don't have things, then who are you? If you and the people with more things, we look at them and we think, oh, look at you. That's how we work. The more things you have, we're more impressed with you. The less things, shame, we feel sorry for. And so sometimes the people with the more things go and help the people with the less things. Look down their noses and say, oh, shame, you're without. Let me come and give you something. There's a wonderful phrase uh, in a book on helping alleviate poverty that talks about the materially poor. The materially poor. There are people in the world who are materially rich, and there are people who are materially poor. But you can be materially rich and incredibly poor incredibly poor. You can be the poorest person in the world. Money and finances and possessions don't fix a poverty of spirit. And some of the richest people in the world are those who are materially poor. They've learned something of the hardship of living life, holding loosely to things because they don't have things. And so they get to celebrate more of what life is really all about. I hope you are further entrenched in your conviction or moving towards a new conviction around who you belong to and who the things that you have belong to. Because it changes the way that we live. Because stewards have to give an account. Because, like Randy Elkins says, you are managing it on behalf of somebody else. So one day, the owner is going to say, all right, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? It's not that you're just burning through stuff here and life ends and they put you in the ground and off you go. No, no, no. The message of the Bible is that one day we're going to stand before the one to whom everything belongs. And he's going to ask us and we're going to give an account for how we stewarded everything that he gave us. And Some people, it's going to be a rough reckoning. It's going to be a rough, rough, rough time. You're not going to want to be there. We have to give. An account because we don't own it. It's not ours. I've got a, I've got a mate who's a... He, he basically invests rich people's money and makes them more money and has done a really good job of it. Made a lot of money himself doing that. But imagine that I was out at lunch with him. He always insists on pain and I'm happy with that because he has lots of money made from other people's money. But imagine... So we were at the restaurant, and he was just like, you know what, let's order 50 extra whatever's, and you know what, I'm going to pick up the bill uh, for everyone here, uh, you know, and he's, you know, he's got like cash, he's doing that thing where all the money's going all over the place, but he's using all of his clients' money that they've given him to go and invest, he's like, no, don't worry, I've got it, like, he's actually giving me all this money, you know, it's all, it's all on me today. Everyone would think you're absolutely mental, but you can't do that, they gave you their money, so that you would You would invest it and it would grow not so that you could go and splash the cash kind of thing and bless the whole world with other people's money. It's the same thing. It's the same thing when we live extravagantly and beyond our means and in a way that we're not living as stewards. We are spending that which doesn't belong to us. We are stewards. We will give an account. Imagine and the clients then come back to my friend and say, right, how's my money? He says, well, you know, I bought the whole restaurant lunch with your bucks. Thanks for being so generous. You know, like, give him a smack. Fire him. Our lives as stewards are grounded in this, that we live responsibly to the kindness of God. We live responsibly to the kindness of God. He has won us to himself and made us his, and you live as a steward because you get given life and everything because God has set his affection on you. So let's dig into a little bit more of what we're stewarding. What are we stewarding? If we have this conviction that we do not belong to ourselves, but that we belong to the Lord, and that one day we're going to give an account for what we've done with what we've been given, how then must we live? How then must we live? Well, what are we stewarding? Well, I, I would say that you're stewarding everything. You're stewarding your next breath. If, if it's true, the conviction that you belong heart and soul in life and death to our faithful Savior Jesus, everything is an issue. Everything is a stewardship issue now. I'm going to talk about the three that are easy for us to remember that are common the time, talents, and treasures. Time, talents, and treasures. Let me ask you how you are stewarding your time. How are you stewarding your time? This is the one thing that everyone gets given the same of. Everyone gets given the same amount of time. The days are not longer for some or shorter for others. It may feel like that, uh, but it's the same. Everyone gets the same amount of time. And God, in, because he's the owner, he calls time on when your time is up. So how are you stewarding your time? COVID has fundamentally changed this I think in some ways for the good and in some ways um, not. Before COVID, um, people were in different rhythms. Um, and now in COVID, we've all learned different rhythms. People used to go to office, offices and sit in traffic and all these kind of things. It was all about redeeming your rhythms and your time and all that kind of stuff. Now a lot of people, some go to office, some do hybrid, some work from home. Uh, what if some people don't have jobs anymore? Uh, everything has shifted. And people, you know, if you work from home, um, you know, sometimes I'm going and taking the kids from school or whatever. You see some people out for, like, a run at, like, 11 in the morning or something. You know, like, that's weird. But, like, people can do that. If you work from home, you put a gap in your schedule, you work for yourself, you put in meetings, you can go for a run at 11, that's fine, and then you carry on working. And rhythms are different. The world has shifted. We don't do, like, nine to five, sit at the desk there, bosses, you can leave. Some people have jobs like that. But for many people, you're having to figure out How do you steward your time? How do you make the most of the 24 hours in a day that God gives you? And I think this is a stewardship issue. I want to ask you, um, how much margin do you have in your life? How much margin? How much are you? Because everyone is different. So there's some, I always go hard on the students because it's just easy. Like students, it's the best time of their life. You know, they've got tons of... They always, students always tell you that their life sucks, it's so hectic. You know, they're just stressed to death. But they have like six-month holidays, and they can sleep or whatever, many of them. You know, it's like the la- most lack of time of life is when you're a student. You know, life just, just does get progressively more complicated and hectic. But ask a student, and they will let you know, man, that they are taking strain. Um, so there are stu- students, and then there are others. Um, everyone's using their time differently. Some of you have zero margin. You're going so flat out. You're sitting here. You can't actually concentrate on what I'm saying this morning because you're exhausted. You have not built any margin into your life. And so some of the life has been sucked out of you. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. Tomorrow, Monday's coming. You're joyless, lifeless. And it's just you, when we speak about living the life the of and the joy of God kind of thing. You're like, yeah, whatever. You guys are just taking different kind of medication, more excited about life. Like, I'm just like going through, just trying to make it to a holiday or whatever else. Like, some people go zero margin. And I want to challenge you that I don't think that's the pattern of the scriptures, to live with zero margin in your life, hanging by a thread. You have the wrong rhythms. You You have unbiblical, ungodly rhythms in your life that squash the life of God in you. And it's an issue of repentance, of turning back to the Lord to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been running too hard for whatever reason, whether you're making money or making a name for yourself or you're just a workaholic or whatever it is. And it may, it may not just be work. Maybe it's work plus, 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 And you're just going too hard. It's an issue of repentance. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. There is an abundance of good in coming and just sitting quietly before the Lord. And some people run so hard. They're accomplishing a million things, but they never spend any time with God. They don't have time. I want to challenge us all to re-investigate uh, the, the Sabbath rhythms of the Scriptures. God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh, he rested. Why? Because he was tired? No, because God doesn't get tired. He rested to set the pattern for us that we would work and rest and work and rest and work and rest. And sometimes we get that so confused. Some people, they slide into sloth uh, way too much resting, you've got to get them. Yep. come on, let's go. Let's do some work. Come on. not so. You know, Work is not the enemy. Work is a gift from God to us. But that rhythm of, what does what is, what is the Sabbathing rhythm in your life look like? Are you in a rhythm like that where once a week you're down in tools? I was having a chat with some uh, guys last week after the service and they they were saying they're they having a tech, a tech fast like on a Sunday. They don't go near their phones on a Sunday. And I think they were... Kind of new to it, and they were still adjusting. It's still quite tricky. You know, you'd reach where's my phone? You feel like you're naked walking around without a phone for a whole day. We've become so tethered um, to these things. We've become so addicted to busyness and activity and stuff. And we wonder why we're joyless and ineffective and why we're riddled with anxiety and all these things. It's because we have disconnected ourselves from a rhythm that God has put in us to work and rest and work and rest and lean into Him for and renewal. When it comes to stewarding your time, how often do you pray over your diary and your decisions? How often do you do that? Do we just say yes or no based on what you feel like? Oh, yeah, I could do that. I've got time for it. Let me do it. may not be a good thing. It may, may not be something you need to do. Learning to say yes or no through the guidance of the Spirit, realizing that my time is not my own. I'm stewarding time. I'm stewarding time. We just, we don't live, we live reactively. We don't live intentionally, many of us. And I want, I want to challenge you to that, to look at your diary, to look at your week, to look at your months, to look at your year, and say, okay, Lord, I'm praying over these things. Is this something that you want me to do? Are these things you want me to be involved in? What are the Sabbath and restful rhythms here? So that you don't live from holiday to holiday, from rest to rest strung out, burnt out, hanging by a thread. That's not the life God wants for us. It's time. Let's talk about talents. How are you stewarding your talents? How are you stewarding the abilities God has given you? um, I'm a firm believer in telling our kids (laughs) that they cannot be whatever they want to be. I, I don't know if you heard me correctly i tell my kids, you cannot be whatever you want. That's a lot of utter garbage. The world loves to tell kids that, don't they? You can be whatever you want. No, they can't. Maybe they don't have the mental capacity to do something that's particularly difficult to engage in. Maybe they're not fast enough to run at the Olympics. They can't do. They have constraints and limits because God has made them for a particular purpose and and with limits. Telling our kids that they can be whatever they want to be is utter rubbish. We're lying to them. Tell them that they can rather explore how uniquely God has made them. And ask the question, God, where do you want to plant me that I may flourish, that I may serve your purposes with the unique way that you have made me? Put all your energy into those discussions. Don't tell them nonsense that they can be whatever they want to be. They can't. So how has God uniquely made you? What gifts and abilities has he given you? And how is he wanting those to serve His purposes, unless this goes a fundamental question of being, unless you can answer that question, you're going to muddle your way through life. (laughs) You are. You're you're not going to know why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing. This is probably the most important question next to answering the question of how you will get right in relationship with God. The next question is, why on earth are you here? And as you understand the unique way God has put you together and the abilities and gifts that he's given you, To steward for his purposes, suddenly life comes alive. Okay, Okay, I I I don't know exactly, but I know, increasing measure, why I'm here. Because I come alive when I do this, and when I do this, it flourishes. And when I'm with these people and these things, I'm good at this, and I'm not good at that. I'm 44. I have a long list of things I know I'm not good at. It's an increasing list. It's it's (laughs) the older I get. And the older my kids get, the list gets longer because they keep pointing out all the things that I know I can't do or whatever else. And I'm now not as good as things I used to do when I was 20. You know, I used to run 5Ks way quicker than I run it now. Those days might be behind me. Um, just stay on the bike and try not to fall off it. Um, how has God made you? Listen to this as we move into treasure. By David Livingston. You know David Livingston, the famous missionary. Listen to what he said. I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as by giving or keeping it shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. It sounds like he's speaking from another planet, doesn't it? It it sounds like it to me. I'm only gonna I'm only gonna keep or give away something as it as it advances the interests of the kingdom of God. That's gonna be the matrix through which I make decisions today. If I hold onto something or if I give it away, it's the advancement of the kingdom of God, not my own comfort, not my own pleasure, not my own, not me, 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 me. It's my eyes are fixed. I'm I'm absorbed with eternity and with the owner and the one to whom uh, has given me this privilege of stewardship. When it comes to treasure, uh, let me give you a brief summary of how we see giving here at Parkhurst. Returning here at uh, at Parkhurst, Uh, where do we start? We start in Matthew chapter six, verse two, and Jesus says, "When you give," he's going through a whole bunch of things: when you fast, uh, when you pray, when you give. Not if. It's not if you fast, if you pray. It is when. Jesus assumes that those who follow him we are part of this new creation, These new people of his, would give. It's not an optional extra for those juiced-up Christians. who are like, really, like, next level, like, okay, I've graduated, I've gone through all this stuff, now I'm going to be a giving Christian. It's like, we we just give. Financial stewardship, trusting, giving back to God, some of what is his, our treasure, is just garden variety Christian, uh, Christianity. We used to joke about um, baptizing people with their wallets, Uh, that we would do that as a sign of what's actually happening in their life, that, like, make sure that they baptize them with their credit cards and their bank details kind of thing, because your old way of relating to your money has died, and you're raised to a new way in Christ. And your money is part of that. (laughs) It's part of it. It's not like, oh, oh my God can't get near my finances. They are not your finances. It's not your money God is after. It's his money. How do you... um, How do you... Handle the treasure God has given. Let's have a look at two verses quickly as we close this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is at the heart of giving is joyful generosity, not giving under compulsion. Um, I mean, there's a whole range of different kinds of churches that you get. Some of you may have been in some of those, where the, the offering section of the service takes as long as the, every, every any other part, like the, pre, the sermon and the offering sermon are about the same length. Maybe the offering sermon sometimes is longer yeah. if people haven't given. I remember the first time I went to a church where they did the offering in the front. And everyone had to, like, go to the front. And you put your offering in this, like, big kind of bowl. And like the Casio keyboard kind of organ thing was playing the whole time. And it sort of kept going. And I thought everyone had gone. And then the people kept playing. And more people had to keep kind of going. I don't know if they were kind of going for a number, you know. But everyone kind of went and very... Um, ostentatiously almost like, I'm putting my offering in here, like just letting everyone know that you're giving something. And I was like, this is so bizarre. Like I don't know if it is a – some churches, our church is not like that uh, at all. And some churches make a really big deal about, you know, giving categories and they just drill this and say, you have to give, you have to give, you have to give, it's a sign of this, you know, God will bless you Um, and big fancy buildings and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to throw other churches under the bus. Uh, all I want to do this morning is point us to Jesus, and Jesus spoke more about finances than almost anything else. So it's not a matter, as Tim Keller says, it's not about, not a matter a matter of getting the money out of your hands. It's about getting the idol out of your heart. It's not about getting the money out of your hands. It's about getting the idol out of your heart. If you don't want to give your money to Parkers Community Church, I don't mind. You're not giving to me. I'm not going to go buy a Ferrari. You know, you're, giving, you're giving to the Lord, and God loves a cheerful giver. God is not poor. God is not short-changed if you hang on to his money. He's like, I wanted to do all that stuff, but those are holding all my cash. God is not constrained. The earth is his and everything in it. God is not short of money. He does not need your assistance. The issue of giving is for us. It's rooting out the idol of money and finances in our own hearts. And causing us to walk in freedom. It's not that we're paying God's bills for him. The issue is for us. And we need to move to a point where we're doing it joyfully. Realizing that we're simply returning to the Lord some of what he has entrusted to us. We don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Doesn't mean that if you're a reluctant giver, you don't have to give. I would say Parkhurst, yeah. But you still have a reckoning with the owner. You have a reckoning with that, and it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for you if you hang on to all of these things, both now and when you answer to. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He's Talking about a collection they were taking up. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send those whom you are credited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. What is the principle here? Forethought. Forethought. Put it aside so that it won't be you won't be doing this at the last minute. Forethought. Plan your giving and do it, there it is, as you may prosper. So everyone is called to give differently because we've all been entrusted with different things to steward. If Elon Musk became a believer, and started tithing, he would be sinning. Do you understand tithing? Uh, An Old Testament principle of giving a tenth of what you earn back uh, to the Lord. I don't think it's a new covenant uh, principle. It's a great guideline, 10%. But I will say this, like I'm giving the example of Elon Musk. Elon Musk becomes a Christian, and he gives away, he gives back to the Lord 10% of his 15 gazillion dollars that he's got. He is sinning. He is hoarding what God has given to him to steward. 10% is nothing for Elon Musk. 10% is everything in the world for some people who have nothing. It's as you prosper, as you prosper, God requires more because he's stewarding it for his purpose. He's giving it to you to do what? To steward, not that you may prosper and add and build bigger bonds, but that you can be a conduit of blessing to others. You understand how much you need. And then you give. There's a, there's a principle in 2 Corinthians. We don't have time to go through it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You can go and read it. Where he talks about um, seed and bread. And God gives you two types of finance. He gives you bread for eating. And he gives you seed for sowing. So he gives you money to meet your needs. And he gives you money to bless others. To sow To be generous. If you you eat all the seed, you've got nothing to sow. And that would be short-sighted. Because if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Are Are you following the logic here? If you eat all the seed, you've got nothing to sow. And it comes back to bite you. What in your budget is bread and what is seed? That's a fundamental thing you have to understand. What are my needs and what has God given me that's above those needs for generosity? That's the purposes of God to give, decide in our hearts, and to give, to put it aside, to be thoughtful. We use four words to describe giving here at Pockers. We want people to be joyful, generous, regular, and sacrificial. So we don't talk about percentages, brackets. You don't join the A-plus giving club and get a T-shirt and a sticker and whatever else. We don't, I don't even know what people give here, and I think it's good. We want people to be joyful. We want people to be generous because God has been generous to us, hasn't he? So we're just modeling his generosity to us. We want people to be regular. We want people to be regular in their giving, not just giving fits and starts kind of thing. It shows a lack of intentionality. And we want people to give sacrificially. I think that's a, a scriptural principle that we, 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 we don't. Because, you, you know, you can say, okay, well, Doug, you spoke about bread and seed. And we get a wrong idea of what we need. This is a this is a problem, and I know I'm just going to I'm going to offend everyone here, uh, and I'm in the same boat that we have so, we have we have baptized our wants as needs. We have, we think that we need all of these things, but they're actually wants; they're not needs. We need a lot less than we actually um, think we do, don't we? But we've we've turned wants into needs, and so when we look at that, say, "Well, I need all of these things," no. There are wants that we have baptized as needs, and so, well, what well, I don't understand the wants, needs, things, but I have to have these things. No, you don't. We need to, that's the part of the sacrificial thing. What things can I do without so that others may have? That's a hard question, and it's a different answer for everyone. But I would challenge us all to look at our lives and our budgets and say, what can I go without so that others may have? We live in the most Unequal nation in the world. This is a taxing question for every single one of us in this room. What can you go without so that others may just have enough to survive and live and have shelter and pay school fees for their kids and things like that? For unbelievers, no answer in that question. For those of us who follow the ways of Jesus, this should be a, a taxing question and engaging. One. And I don't think it's a law thing. I think it's a heart thing that God needs to help us with. I would encourage you today and in the coming days to find time. Each of these sermons, there's just so much stuff in it. Unless you find time to sit by yourself with the Lord to say, how am I doing as a steward in my time, with my talents, with my treasure? What changes do I need to make? Am I comfortable and happy, happy with that conviction that I am not my own? I belong to the Lord, heart, soul, in this life and the next. And I pray that as we do that, all the changes will happen. They'll all look different for each of us. Some of us, our time will change. For some, it'll be a different relationship to your finances that you've never had before. And let's pray for God's help in all of these things. Let's pray together.